Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zune, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. In this special series called The Neonicotinoid View, my co-host Tom Theobald and I will be joined by Jeffrey Gibbs, the CEO of Northern Light Candle Company in Australia and CEO of Beeswax Australia, to discuss his paper, Neonicotinoids in Australia. Jeffrey has 36 years experience as a commercial beekeeper and has been running up to 2,000 hives. He is currently in contact with dozens of Australian commercial beekeepers, specifically in areas of large honey flows. He previously sat on the board of the Honey Corporation in Australia and is currently on the board of NASAA Standards Committee, which is the Australian Organic Certifiers. And he's also the author of the award-winning paper, Neonicotinoids in Australia, which was published in Australasian Beekeeper Journal 2011 to 2012. So I would first like to welcome to the show my co-host Tom Diebold. Good afternoon, Tom. Hi, June. And also welcome to the show Mr. Jeffrey Gibbs. Good afternoon, Jeffrey. Good afternoon, June. Glad to be on. Jeffrey, can you tell us about what your business entails and some of the difficulties that you've been experiencing? Oh, well, June, I fell in love with bees when I was really very young, at 18. I became a beekeeper when I was 20, and uh, I've been a full-time beekeeper ever since. At the moment, I'm running two companies where we're buying beeswax from larger beekeepers uh, and forwarding it on, one in the form of uh, candles. We made the first commercial beeswax tea lights in the world, and we make hundreds of thousands of these beeswax tea lights. So I've stayed in contact with beekeepers for the last 36 years, June. I've followed, um, it's fair enough to say, the collapse of bees here over the last 15 years. Uh, I've kept a very close eye on it all. And um, I'm on this show because I'm really concerned about the latest systemic uh, insecticides that are on the market and the damage that they're doing here. Now, exactly, what is the communication like in Australia with the beekeeping community? Do you talk with each other or, you know, what is the environment like? Yeah, look, beekeepers really don't go to meetings here. Um, that, that's a, one peculiarity about them. And I think that's been to their detriment because they really haven't a voice speaking for them. But um, they've always been close, uh, knit telephone conversations. I could pick up uh, what's happening to bees from the very bottom of Australia to the top of it in conversations tonight. The, 
The beekeepers cover large areas, June. I think they do the same in the States, don't they? And um, and so each beekeeper might cover six or 800 kilometres in his own backyard. And um, so by ringing a handful of beekeepers, you can have your finger on the pulse of very large areas of uh, country. Find Thank out you. where it's raining, for example, or where it's mm. not, and what their troubles are. And um, so I'm pretty in tune with the troubles of beekeeping here in Australia and the joys of it too, of course. Of course. Jeffrey, can you talk about your business? I think what you do is quite significant, especially since someone that is in the area of business that you're in will be one of the first to see the dramatic impact of the neonicotinoids. Hmm. Yeah, well, June, we've always been sprayed. Um, I think every commercial beekeeper in Australia can tell you lots of stories about how they've been sprayed by insecticides before. But this latest class of insecticides has has got uh, a, a lot of beekeepers worried at the moment. It, it's working out in the hive differently. It doesn't just kill the bees, but it seems to be coming out particularly in the pollen, which might drag the uh, ill health of the hive on for months and months. And I've never seen that before up until um, we've been swimming in the neonicotinoids here, and particularly for the last five or six years. But you, you get hives that really shouldn't be weak, uh, getting attacked by all manner of viruses and this wretched little hive beetle that we've got. And it seems to me that the bees, although they're not dead in the hive, they're really quite ill for a long length of time and that's what I've noticed about neonicotinoids apart from all the other insecticides it's very very hard to remove it from the hive as far as I, I hear it's even in the wax so it's in the wax it's in the honey it's in the pollen and that is the whole home and living for the bees and if they're continually taking small doses of something that's making them sick then it's, uh, it, it, it makes our life a whole lot more difficult here. Well, I, I believe we're suffering from colony collapse disorder as, as bad as the United States are. And Jeffrey, one question that I have for you is exactly how much beeswax do you handle a year? Well, I think this year we're doing something like 16 tonne, June. We, we make... Uh, I've got a pneumatic machine that makes beeswax tea lights, and so we make 50,000 to each tonne, so it's a lot of little candles we're producing. But um, we do hand-poured candles that go all around the world now. I think we're the largest producer of beeswax candles in the world here in Australia. We're in a very good position to buy tonnes and tonnes of pristine wax. It's, uh, that's my main job, is hunting down the wax and... Speaking with the beekeepers, really. Oh, Jeffrey, can what you, the next season bring. Can you talk about some of the changes that you've noticed over the course of the past few years in the beeswax? Yeah, well, we've really noticed um, it, it. Well, 
It's not just insecticides. We, we've been suffering uh, logging in the forests, and so there's been a, a lack of habitat um, or a decreasing of habitat everywhere. That's really hurt. Um, well, I've noticed the price going up of uh, Australian beeswax, and I've noticed the price of pollination hives. I think they've climbed 50% in the last three years, and that's all due to the lack of bees. Uh, I know in our area, it's always been a heavy beekeeping area, the north coast of New South Wales, and at times we used to have up to 15,000 hives here in a small area. And, uh, I don't know if there's three or 400 on the Alstonville Plateau this year where we used to have thousands. So it's fair enough to say that more than 80% of our local bees are gone. It's a fair number to go. That's it's quite impacting on macadamias. It's, uh, it, it's, it's impacting on, on my business, of course. It's impacting my bees. And it's impacting all the bees of the beekeepers that I'm associated with. Until I wrote that article, beekeepers in Australia, and, and no uh, common person in Australia has even heard of the word neonicotinoids. No beekeepers have even heard of it. If you read the APVMA uh, literature, they'll tell you they've been in um, collusion with beekeeping associations and beekeepers, but I've never met any beekeepers or associations that have been asked about neonicotinoids. You, you read the environmental um, uh, statements about it, and it's just horrific what it does to bees. And, and there's no doubt about it, it's one of the most highly toxic insecticides ever out for bees. It doesn't take much to kill a bee, June. They'll die with anything. Um, here in the United States, we've had great difficulty getting the regulatory agencies to recognize the damages that we believe are being caused by the systemic pesticides. What has your experience been in Australia? Oh, look, it's, it's been woeful, Tom. I've, um, <clears throat> it's fair enough to say I've lobbied our, our uh, government departments called the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority, and they just keep coming back with, no matter what you say, they keep coming back with not enough scientific proof, and they're talking worldwide here, um, <clears throat> to consider neonicotinoids. You can give them dozens of names of beekeepers to ring. They won't ring it. it, it uh, it's fair, fair enough to say they've been very elusive, the word would be. They're, uh, they, they don't seem to want to confront this concern at all. And I think already it's just absolutely monstrous in Australia in its size. It does appear that neonicotinoids have taken over 85% of our whole country. We're, we're big producers, Australia, and yet all of our large crops now are either seed-treated or sprayed or soil-drenched with neonicotinoids. What are the major crops? What are the major crops that you deal with? Uh, sunflowers. Canola is the main one, Tom, because it comes early in winter and Beekeepers used to run to it um, because it, it's a fair supply of uh, 
of honey, but a, a decent supply of pollen, and it makes the bees breed early in the season, and uh, that's why we all used to run to it. But uh, from what I'm hearing now, everyone's running away from it. Even though it's getting difficult to run away from, we, one of our beekeepers has got 1,500 hives on a eucalypt flow called White Box. It's a native forest tree right now. But he's picking up canola pollen from a kilometre and a half away. And uh, I'm concerned that what's going to happen to his bees in the very near future, and particularly when you move them, um, you know, or cause any stress, they just seem to collapse and the queens are dying. It, it seems to be you always have to requeen. I don't know about the States, Tom, but our queens used to last two years, you know, going back 10 years ago. Now it seems like the queens, you know, you're requeening them maybe twice a year or even more with some hives. Yes, we're seeing, serious, we're seeing serious queen problems here, similar. Uh, I think... I think the queen breeders are having problems. Yes. And I can't help but to think that neonicotinoids is just everywhere here. I think we're drowning in it. One, of the, concerns, one of the concerns is that this insecticide is water-soluble and can get into the groundwater and can migrate with the groundwater, be drawn up by non-target crops. Are you... Uh, having any experience with contaminated groundwater in Australia? Well, um, Tom, it's a, do you call it clothianidin? Yes, that's how yeah. I pronounce it. Um, well, clothianidin is being used on the sugar cane here, and it's all very low-lying country. And you get three or four inches of rain, and the whole sugar cane field goes underwater. And yes, I've had a one of the beekeepers I buy from have been personally whacked by the weeds that were growing in and around the, the sugarcane fields seemed to be enough to kill out all the nucleuses. I think he had over 100 nucleus hives there. Every one of them died. And he put it down to the weeds around the sugarcane. So there's no doubt it's coming up everywhere. The, the uh, coolie bar tree, you know, it's one of Australia's most famous trees. It's Walsing Matilda was the coolie bar tree. Um, it's in cotton country, and I know they're soaking that country in, in neonicotinoids, and they flood irrigate, Tom. And, and so the water ends up everywhere, and I'm really concerned that it's in our eucalypt trees already. I mean, you've got Australian eucalypt trees in California yes. that's registered neonicotinoids enough to kill bees in both the honey and the pollen. So what chances have we got on the edges of these crops, even with our native trees? It's a real concern. Is there any monitoring of groundwater being done in Australia? No. No, none whatsoever. We've got one of the largest river systems in the world, the Murray-Darling, and I'm absolutely convinced that it's a wash with it. They've had two big floods in the last three years and a lot of that droughted land had, uh, well, it all is uh, along the Murray-Darling, very heavy ag agricultural country. And in the flood, it all ended up in the river and I personally believe that's why we had that monstrous fish kill in March last year in Burke. 
had 40 million fish going over the town's drinking water weir. And I, I followed the story through then and asked the APVMA, has anyone been testing any water? Has there been any field tests for bees? And the answer is no. So, no, no one's testing for neonicotinoids in Australia, full stop, Tom. Yet it, it seems to have completely overtaken our pesticide industry. Though, yeah, Australia's a big country. No one's testing the water, no. Yes, we have a similar situation here. Um, <clears throat> the geologic survey apparently is responsible for the water testing, and they've, in the recent past, have made uh, public announcements about the uh, improvement in the the pesticide spectrum. Some of the ones that have been banned and uses have been restricted have declined, and yet there's no measurement whatsoever of the neonicotinoids. Well, I, I was the only one in Australia that followed that massive fish kill at Burke from the start to the finish. I spoke to the general manager of Burke. He was the one that raised the concern. Uh, I spoke to the uh, colleague that collected the water samples. I spoke to the laboratory uh, that it was dropped off to and then the laboratory that tested. And I was just asking a very simple question. Is this has this water been tested for neonicotinoids? Because 2,000 miles, 2,000 kilometres upstream from Berg is all heavy agricultural land. <clears throat> According to the agronomists I spoke to, and I spoke to quite a lot of them, they were coming back with percentages of 95, 96% of these big crops are all neonicotinoids. So for 2,000 kilometres upstream, we've got one of Australia's well, we have Australia's largest river system in a flood washing down all this water-soluble insecticide. There's 40 million fish upside down at Burke and nobody's tested for basically the only insecticide being used for 2,000 kilometres. Something a little bit odd about that. One of the things that we've seen here in the United States is... Uh a rapidly emerging resistance both on the part of insects and on the part of weeds for the herbicide-resistant crops, which go hand-in-hand hand with the systemics. We're seeing uh, growing resistance uh, on the part of insects and resistant weeds, resistant to the herbicide-tolerant uh, technology and those two things go hand in hand the systemic pesticides and the herbicide resistant plants are you seeing any of these resistant uh, weeds or insects in Australia Tom I think it's fair enough to say in most things we're just a handful of years behind the United States and I think even in the pickup of neonicotinoids we're a little bit behind you We've only had genetically modified crops here for four years. So um, I've, I've noticed that, uh, what you said, I've been following that in the States, but I can't speak uh, for that right now. But if it's happening in the States, of, of course it's going to happen here. I mean, you know, we, we've, we've got the same weeds and, and uh, the same grasshoppers here and... Uh, if, if if it's happening in the States, we're only a few years behind you. That's the way I've always read it. Yes. 
I think in a few years in front of us with neonicotinoids, Tom, that nobody even knows the name of it here, yet it's taken over 85% of our country. That's odd, isn't it? Well, what we found... What we found is that many of the other countries tend to follow the lead of the United States, and if the EPA allows certain practices, then the other countries tend to assume that everything is okay and they move ahead. Is that happening in Australia? Yeah, well, I'm um, reasonably convinced that we just got the uh, Bayer papers straight out of the EPA in the States, and that's why Australia went along with it. But we didn't have any field tests on bees. The only difference I saw was that there was mention about Australia's turbulent waters. That's that's a difference between our two countries, but that that's the only difference that I saw in in the two papers that, that I was reading. Anyhow, do you and, have and any national? That, do you have any national statistics on bee losses? Uh, we do here in the United States, they're somewhat misleading, but they do try to assess the overall losses. Do you have anything similar in in your country? It, it, that, that question's always a bit sketchy, Tom. I've never been able to find any real figures on that, but um, uh, I can tell you for sure that Australia's been losing massive amounts of bees over the last decade, you know, over the last 15 years, I think we've lost more than 50%. That's that's my opinion. That we're in one of the largest producing honey areas in Australia, and uh, there's no doubt about there's there's more than 50% of the bees gone out of that area in in the last 10 years. And um, <clears throat> look, the, one of the troubles here in Australia is all the beekeepers are, are over 70 years old. They're all old. Then the younger ones don't seem to be taking it up like the older ones did. So we've got a lot of elderly beekeepers here. You know, all of the big ones seem to be in their late 60s or early 70s. They've got young people running it, but uh, I don't know what we're going to do without their knowledge. And um, the beekeeping industry here in Australia doesn't look stable at all through my eyes, Tom. We'll be one of the last countries. Those lost figures are comparable to what we're experiencing here. Now, Jeffrey, I have a question uh, for you in regards to that very subject with the fact that uh, you have uh, so many elderly beekeepers, or should I say mature beekeepers, rather, um, are there any plans to help educate the public by getting them to get involved and you know become hobbyist beekeepers and start different programs to encourage people to really reconnect with nature by you know taking up beekeeping or just planting what my good friend Phil Chandler calls bee friendly zones Phil is the host of um the Barefoot Beekeeper, which is a show in the UK, and he started this initiative with, I do believe, Graham White, called Bee Friendly Zones, in which they're encouraging people to at least do their part to help the bees and plant different types of plants that the bees can forage on. So I'm just wondering, are there any plans to do anything like that? No. 
No, unfortunately in Australia there's not. But I understand that um, middle-class beekeepers, I think they're calling them in the UK, have uh, doubled the amount of hives in the UK. And uh, I see that as the future of beekeeping. Lots of smaller beekeepers. But um, no, the an- no, the answer is no, June. There's, there's not a lot of teaching going on. I, I was wondering how many people Tom's teaching beekeeping. Tom, you should be out there teaching a good 30 or 40 right now. Get them to pay you. And, well, you know, we do. do uh, we have had a, an eight-week beekeeping class. We're in our 13th year now, I think, and we do it each fall. And it's it's been so popular that we've had to add a second section. It's a little difficult right. because we're all volunteers. We do get paid a nominal amount, but but we have uh, educated over that time several hundred new beekeepers. Now, not all of them become beekeepers, but many of them become what we call beekeeping ambassadors. They can speak intelligently with other people about some of the problems and the things that are involved. So I have been doing a certain amount of teaching, and many other beekeepers have as well. I can add that to my resume, Tom, beekeeping ambassador. Yes, you can. (laughs) Jeffrey, uh, I understand that there are a lot of issues with communication in Australia. Do you have any recommendations for people that are listening to the show? Well, I think they could come attack their amateur beekeepers associations, that would be a good start. Um, but look, Gene, I, I think it's all down to the people everywhere. Like if we want to get any notice from the governments about neonicotinoids, for example, then we're going to need a massive tide of people behind us because the government departments don't listen to beekeepers. There's just not enough of them and they're not a strong lobby group. Um, but if, you know, I, I think if the average person could study the problems of bees and even contact their government departments, you know, in support of the beekeepers, then that would be a jolly good start. And I think it's a good thing to support associations like what Tom's doing. Um, I'm sure they're going to grow here in Australia. We're, we're starting something small ourselves just for uh, what we call backyard beekeepers or, or uh, you know, middle-class beekeepers. Um, we've already started. Uh, I've got this experimental thing going. Tom, you'd love it. It's, do you have nucleus hives there? Oh, certainly, yes. Mm. Uh, I've uh, uh, been keeping these five-frame nucleus hives just for the sake of they're very easy to breed and they swarm a lot. And I think... They make an ideal companion in the backyard and you can catch swarms from them and have a look inside a beehive and eat honey out of the lid. It's a, uh, it's a jolly good start. There's no reason why most of the population can't keep a couple of hives. <clears throat> well, I mean, if, if everybody did, who possibly could, we'd have a whole lot more bees around right now and maybe they'd see firsthand the problems that bees are up against uh, that'd be that, that that's my vision for the future a lot of people with a couple of hives each uh, i think we're going to have to 
Well, we've taken that course here, and for the very reason that you've said, we're a very small voice, small numbers, and <clears throat> the only real voice we have is the voice of the public, and and this is ultimately going to be tried in the court of public opinion, and is being tried here in the United States. The public has become much more aware and has been very supportive, but we still find that the regulators are reluctant to address these problems. I don't even think they want to acknowledge that they exist. We've had, uh, well, there's farmers not far away from here pulling apple trees out in Stanthorpe because they can't get bees anymore. And the, apparently the pumpkin crop at Air is a big crop too. At Air last year failed because of lack of bees. We've got a a massive amount of macadamia nuts here. It's a it's the main growing area for macadamias in the world, and uh, they've been suffering loss after loss because the nuts aren't taking on the trees. And you go looking at the trees when they're in flower, you can't see any bees anymore. Once upon a time, every one of those flowers had bees in it. Now you can't see any bees, and the farmers are wondering why they're not getting any nuts. We're suffering already. People don't realise. We're five years off the edge of a cliff now. In that, in that respect, you're ahead of the United States because we have enough beekeepers <clears throat> now at least to cover the pollination requirements. Uh, it could change very quickly, but it, in that respect, you're ahead of us in the problems. Now, Jeffrey, well, one... Australia is a very big oh. country. Jeffrey, one question that I have for you is in regards to organic. Um, how has how has this affected organic agriculture in Australia? Um, are you finding that there are more people that are trying to connect with you to maintain organic agriculture? I think organic agriculture is growing in Australia. And the concept of organic beekeeping is growing in Australia, but June, there'll be no such thing as organic beekeeping if neonicotinoids are in the water everywhere. And I, I've got a feeling they are already. The bees will fly kilometres to collect water uh, over summer. They, they drink a lot of water. And if we can't get away from the groundwater, well, there's just nowhere to go any further. And I, I see the Groundwater is a very big problem here in Australia for, for organic beekeeping. Yes, that We have a lot of forests, you know. Thank God we do, and you, so that you, you can run from the from the crops, but not all the time. And well, um, well I know that. Um, the, the neonicotinoids do stay in the ground for quite a while. I do believe clothianidin has a half-life of, what is it, Tom, 19 years? 19 years in heavy soils, yes. That's kind of the worst case. But even under the best cases, it's several years, and it accumulates over time with successive uses, which is exactly what they do in agriculture. I think they're telling us it's five years here, Tom, in in most of the soils, um, that we mustn't have heavy soils if you guys have got 19 years. Because I, I suspect um, we've got just as heavy soils as you have, but I've never heard the 19 years mentioned here. I, I, 
I'd rather um, hear the truth of it. The, the biggest problem we've got is the continued application of it. So mm. not only is it year after year, but in, in the cotton areas, for example, the seeds are soaked in it. Then they might spray it two or three years, uh, two or three times a year. And although they tell the farmers you can only spray this or apply it once or twice a year, the farmers will apply it whenever they want to. They always have done. The farmers will just apply the insecticide whenever they feel they need or want to do it. And there are no regulations of anyone watching. I've never heard of a farmer being pulled up on such things. You know, they just spray when they want to. And I'm concerned about the amount of water-soluble neonicotinoids that's lying around on millions of acres now, millions of acres. It's definitely a problem that is is growing everywhere and the fact that you have land in Australia that is not <clears throat> excuse me not only being monitored but is the the applications are really not regulated um or enforced rather is a huge problem and you know it's only going to get worse it it leaves it down to the discretionary um use of the person using it and you know a lot of beekeepers live on the edge of towns which has always been handy because towns have got backyards and gardens full of trees and flowers it's always helped a bit I'm, I mean I'm one of them and towns always helped but now I'm finding that towns becoming a detriment because the main insecticide being used by the townsfolk and the nicotinoids again you can plug it on the end of your hose and start hosing it on now, I'm concerned about it coming up in the clover, in trees. It, uh, I think it's coming up everywhere. That's my opinion. Uh, I think we're getting small doses of poison nonstop. That, that's, that's why the bees are, are crook all the time. And look, f from, from an egg to hatching, that little bee larva can be spoken to and turned over and fed and nurtured and encouraged up to 7,000 times. That's a lot of nurturing, especially when the bees are, are, may only last for five weeks and, and uh, that hive can be maintained at 60,000 bees. There's a lot of nurturing goes on inside that female colony because it is a female colony, apart from the drones they breed when they can afford to. And... Um, you know, inside that nurturing, there's a habit of grooming, for example, and as soon as the hive gets slightly sick, even though the beekeepers may not even recognise it at that point because it could be a strong hive, they'll stop their grooming and nurturing process to the ongoing detriment of the hive. And really, from that point, it's downhill for that hive. And so the beekeepers dive back in, put it on a higher protein pollen like clover, requeen it again, try and build it back up. But after neonicotinoids, they don't seem to build up easy at all. They take months and months. And that's a new thing with this new class of insecticides. That is definitely a new thing in the Australian beekeeping industry that bees take so long to come back up. Here in the United States, uh, there's a new term that's come into our vocabulary amongst the commercial beekeepers, and uh, <clears throat> it's failure to thrive. 
Yeah, they just don't exactly. come back. They don't thrive. They they aren't successful. They have a great deal of difficulty just making their winter stores in many cases. Hmm. Uh, I, I've heard the terminology sublethal. What what it really means is the hive is sick, even though you can't see it, and. Uh, even that slowing up of the nurturing process, it's interfering with the very essence of what bees are. And without that, they don't perform like bees do. Yes, I think a better characterization would be pre-lethal. Yeah, well, that's that's right, yes. Yeah, because they're on their way down, there's no doubt about it. And then we find, we've got this small hive beetle here, Tom. It's a nightmare. It's only been here for the last decade, too. But when it first came in, you know, before we were soaked in neonicotinoids, it seemed to pick on the weak nucleus hives or the weak hives. But now there's reports everywhere that it's taking over strong hives as well. And I think that's because the hives are, are, are crook. Like you particularly get it after a canola crop. And I think it's because the hives are sick and they're giving up their grooming. And uh, they can't, a bit similar to you guys with the varroa mite, that they, they just can't keep on top of it like, like a normal healthy hive would. Well, unfortunately, until the data is collected and the powers that BC the scientific proof, even though there's been scientific proof conducted by the, the uh, scientists, um, you know, we just have to keep collecting data and presenting it to the powers that be until they make a decision to take a stand and do something to not only protect the honeybees, but all pollinators. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know if we've got that time, June. Like that, that, what you just said may even take 10 years. Um, and if you draw a graph on where Australia is headed and keep it going for 10 more years, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of beekeepers left. They're, they're not being encouraged. They've got their back to the wall. And the last thing we need here now is this new brand of insecticides that seems to be killing not only bees, but everything we don't have moths anymore we don't have lady beetles anymore the bats are breaking out in viruses and sicknesses we've got sick and dying koalas you know it, it, everything here seems that that's sort of soft or or needs nurturing seems to be under threat to me that's the way i'm, I'm reading it i think this could be an environmental disaster of massive proportions by the time people wake up I, I i think it may be too late that's my biggest concern well definitely inside the beekeeping industry yeah as i said until i wrote that article last year not one beekeeper knew what neonicotinoid was yet they are all suffering the same problems as described in colony collapse disorder that's why i started to follow uh, tom's little group over there in colorado because we were really concerned about colony collapse disorder and I was looking out the back door and seeing the exact same things here yet we just didn't we don't seem to have that uh, um, public awareness like the states have got well this is exactly yet. what Dr. Hank Tenicus had written about and 
also was compelled to write the book, A Disaster in the Making. And um, I agree, you do not have much time left as well as here in the United States, we just really do not have any more time. We need to do something. The concern of many of us is that it may already be too late. We've contaminated millions of acres, apparently, with a product that will take years for the soil to purge itself of. And the concern is that even if we were to stop every application of the neonicotinoids today, how long will it take for the environment to recover? And we don't have those answers. We're very concerned, though. We can only really see what's what's happening to in the environment now, and it's really not a pretty look. And to think that that well, we're increasing in the use of neonicotinoids here, Tom. Yes, we are here, too. The EPA continues to approve new uses as if there were no questions about these products at all. It's the same thing here. There's new products coming out all the time, and and the large agriculture in Australia just swallowed up, and they've all taken it on. If, and, I, could just, um, if I could just interject one last thing, Jeffrey. Uh, one of the things that we found here is that homeowners that are using some of the garden products that are on the market, which also contain imidacloprid, uh, which is another neonicotinoid, are also part of the problem. So the homeowners that are using these chemicals designed for the home garden and, and uh, lawn, what have you, really have to pay attention to the products that they use because the neonicotinoids are in these products and you have to really read the labels. So, you know, it's it's not just in agriculture, but it's in the domestic environment as well. We have the same problem here. I was wondering if we could start bee-friendly neighborhoods. What's wrong with that? I mean, well, that would be a good start, wouldn't it? Well, exactly. Get the whole neighborhood. In, involved in and and you know educate people w which sprays uh, are holding a medical prid and and uh, um, uh, you know and try and create uh, whole neighbourhoods that are friendly towards bees. I mean we're going to have to do this. I I think I don't think the general public is taking pollination anywhere near as seriously as what they should. I mean, we're seeing a drop in takes on crops already, and this is just a handful of years in. What's it going to be like in 10 years' time? We're, 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 we're going to be really hard-pressed for pollinators in 10 years' time if you draw a straight line on what's going on in Australia right now. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, pollination prices here, Tom, have gone up 50% in the last two or three years. One of, the things that makes, one of the things that makes Australia unique, the uh, varroa mite has been used as an excuse for many of these problems, and Australia is the last continent that is free of varroa. So that, that excuse cannot be used in your country, and yet you appear to be seeing the same problems that we're seeing around the globe. Well, they're running out of excuses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, look, at, fir at first hand, I've had beekeepers that are getting whacked directly from neonicotinoids, and not small amounts of hides either, but hundreds of hides. 
and and if if that's what neonicotinoid is doing to our pollinators, then given the large amount being used in this country, Tom, I, I tell you, we're in trouble. That's the way I read it. Uh, I I think that there there should be a reconsideration about these insecticides as soon as we can. I, look, I, I don't know what to do. It's why I'm talking really on this program now because I'll do everything I can, but at the end of the day, I'm only a beekeeper. And um, But that's the thing, Jeffrey. Yeah, you are a beekeeper and you're someone that is experiencing it firsthand. And the more people that speak up about what is going on and the fact that this is it, this is making a huge impact also on your livelihood is uh, you know it's a, it's a very big problem that is widespread it's not just in Australia and it's not just in the United States it's all over so it's very important for people such as you to speak up because without people such as yourself you know who's going to be able to provide the firsthand experience as far as what they're going through so you know, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been really interesting learning about what's happening in Australia. And, you know, once again, there's not a lot of communication uh, that's flowing from Australia worldwide. So to have that opportunity mm -hmm. to speak to you mm -hmm. is really wonderful. And, you know, it's great that we have this technology today. Yeah, th thanks, Jim. It's not just the livelihood with beekeepers. I think you'll find if you ask any beekeepers, they're actually in love with bees. They're almost under a spell. They're beekeepers because they love being beekeepers. And at the rates that some of these beekeepers are losing hives, I know in Germany and Switzerland it was 80% last year, and in lots of places in the Northern Hemisphere it's up to 50% every year. And you'd have to ask yourself a question. You know, how would most people like to lose 50% of their children every year? Yes, one of the things that I tell the newcomers in the beekeeping class is you don't keep bees, you marry them. Yeah, you definitely marry bees, yeah. There's no turning back. Once a beekeeper, always a beekeeper. Seems like that's the truth. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been wonderful talking to you, and uh, I... By all means, um, please keep us posted with everything that's going on down there. We'd love to have you come back on at, at a later point. Thank you for everything yeah, you're, you're doing, Jeffrey. Yeah, well, you, well, you too, Tom, and and you too, June, and uh, you, you're welcome. I, I'll help all I can. I'll keep you updated. Good. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon, everyone.